wah, wah, wah. It's Monday morning. Time for some jazz. Now, ordinarily, I would be doing this on a Sunday, but since yesterday was my birthday, I was quite busy. Uh, yeah, I had some nice phone conversations with some folks I haven't talked to in a little while, so that was that was rather wonderful. Spent time with my uh, parents, had some nice dinner on the patio, and relaxed in the warm summer weather. So uh, I figured I'd put on a show this morning before I head off to work for the day. It's about 6 a.m. right now at this recording. I intended to start this at 5, but um, I needed a couple of cups of coffee before my day could begin. A little, little on the groggy side. Nevertheless, we are here. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. I have a hot cup of coffee in front of me and five wonderful jazz compositions lined up for you. Today I want to start off with a uh, song from uh, Mr. Keith Jarrett. And this particular recording, I believe, goes back to um, the early 60s. I don't have the date on it. I'm going to see if I can find it out for you. Of course, Mr. Jarrett is uh, still very much with us, thankfully, um, at the age of uh, the tender age of 75. <laughs> He's uh, still uh, producing uh, music and occasionally uh, taking up residencies. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's done any touring recently, but I do know that he certainly is uh, still very much active in the jazz scene. And uh, he was, uh, he's also done uh, quite a number of uh, classical pieces over his career. Uh, this uh, recording of So Tender is from his uh, 1985 album, Standards Volume 2, along with uh, Gary Peacock and uh, Jack Dijonette. This is um, So Tender from Keith Jarrett.
the prodigious playing of the maestro of the keyboards, Mr. Keith Jarrett, an absolute master. I don't think anybody can tickle the ivories quite the way Mr. Jarrett can. Although, that being said, one of my favorites, of course, you all know, is Oscar Peterson. And it's difficult to try to compare the musicianship from one style to another as they are very unique and different, although Mr. Jarrett is hailed as one of the absolute masters in the jazz world. So, Mr. Jarrett, of course that recording was from 1983, not 1985. My apologies about that. I get, I get dates mixed up occasionally. I am only human after all, or at least I think I am. <laughs> I think therefore I am. I believe that's how the saying goes. So I want to uh, play a recording now from one of, um, well, my favorite jazz uh, record. Um, recorded in 1959. And uh, this changed the jazz world because this, uh, this particular recording, this album, has been noted as the first jazz album to not be recorded in standard 4-4 time. There's time signatures all over the place on this one. Nine eight five four three four six four. It's a little bit out there. But that being said, this record kind of changed everything in jazz. It actually sold more than a million copies, and one particular song on the record, Take Five, has been known as the absolute jazz standard that most people in the world have heard. They may not know who the artist is, of course, or even the title of the song, but they've certainly heard it. It's been featured in movies, television shows, radio plays, pretty much you name it. it. I think it was even featured in a television commercial at one point in the 70s or 80s, if memory serves correctly. Nevertheless, um, from the album Time Out, again recorded in 1959, this is the Dave Brubeck Quartet with Strange Meadowlark.
Thank <laughs> you. 
course, featuring Mr. Paul Desmond, alto saxophonist, Mr. Eugene Wright on the bass, and Joe Morello on the drums, from their 1959 recording, uh, Time Out, the album, Strange Meadowlark. So, as I said earlier, that uh, recording um, was the first jazz album to sell a million copies. And uh, 1961, it actually hit number two on the pop album charts. The single, Take Five, um, hit number five on the adult contemporary charts and 25 on the pop singles charts. That was in 1961. So it, it had some staying power as, you know, 59, and it was still charting as of 1961. Again, the very first jazz album to, to uh, sell more than a million copies, which, of course, makes it platinum. And um, in uh, 2011, it reached the uh, unique status of becoming double platinum. So more than 2 million copies of that album have been uh, sold, which is very unique for a jazz record. Of course, the um, intention of the album was uh, it was an experiment in musical styles, uh, many of which that uh, Mr. Brubeck discovered while he was uh, traveling abroad on a U.S. Uh, Department of State-sponsored tour of uh, Eurasia. I guess he observed a group of Turkish musicians um, playing a traditional Turkish folk song in 9-8 uh, time with multiple subdivisions, rare meters for Western music, and um, he decided, let's let's play with this. So that's that, that album was the result, and of course it's been one of the most heavily reviewed and, and um, loved jazz recordings in history. Now, sadly, uh, Dave Brubeck uh, passed away in 2012 at the uh, tender age of 91. <laughs> he was still playing right up until the very end, and uh, sadly, I did not get to see him when he played at the Jazz Fest here in Ottawa a few years back. But I can relate to you a rather um, unique story. During the Jazz Fest, um, his piano that he often toured with was not available. And he only toured with a specific type of piano, and I'm, I, I can't recall if it was a Yamaha or not. The make is, is of relative importance, but not necessarily to the story. Reason being, the uh, as, as he had um, pretty bad arthritis at the time, he just didn't have the finger strength to hit um, uh, the keys and play appropriately if the action was too high. So that is to say, if if you needed more pressure to depress the key on the keyboard, well, you simply couldn't do it. So, because the piano that they had set up for him for the show was just, it was too much. He's like, I, I simply can't play this. They said, no problem, we have a solution. They dismantled the entire thing and re <laughs> readjusted the action on every single key so that it would be light enough for him to play appropriately. It took them several hours to dismantle and reassemble the piano, but they did it in time for the show. It's a friend of mine who was working at the show who told me that story, and I thought, well, that, that, is, a wonderful, uh, that is a wonderful little tidbit of information. Mr. Dave Brubeck, one of the absolute leaders in jazz and one of the most beloved uh, pianists ever. So, Let's move it along a little bit. Um, I want to play a composition from uh, Mr. Art Blakey, who had uh, largely discovered Mr. Keith Jarrett. And uh, Mr. Jarrett has, has stated that Mr. Blakey helped 
propel him into the spotlight in the jazz world. Later, of course, Mr. Jarrett played with uh, Miles Davis, but um, uh, Art Blakey, uh, being a, a jazz drummer, uh, was often a band leader. He was uh, quite the interesting fellow. Of course, he, he passed away in 1990 at the age of 71. Uh, he did have a very long career, a very well-respected individual. He, um, he, he played all over the world, literally all over the world. He spent some time in the uh, African continent, touring throughout multiple countries, and, and, and learning different styles from different artists there. He didn't go there to study, he just... <laughs> he ended up studying because it, there was nothing else he said he could do. He wasn't able to get any gigs, so... He just traveled and studied uh, religion, philosophy, and drums. Anyway, let's, uh, let's play this particular composition. Um, this is Monin from Mr. Art Blakey. Thank you. 
Rivers with their 1958 recording of Monin' from the album Monin'. It was recorded in October of 1958 and released in January of 59 and has since gone on to become, you know, recognizable as a, a jazz standard, a, an absolute masterwork, of course. Art Blakey, uh, as I said earlier, had passed away in uh, 91, uh, died of lung cancer. He was a heavy smoker throughout his entire career. And, uh, well, we all know what happens with uh, with that, right? Not not making a judgment, not, not passing judgment on anyone. We all have our vices. Sadly, his took his life. But he was uh, one hell of a drummer, that's for certain, and uh, helped discover a lot of additional artists throughout the decades. That was, uh, of course, recorded by Rudy Van Gelder in his Hackensack, New Jersey studio. One of the um, loved and revered and also reviled at the same time <laughs> jazz producers and uh, engineers. A lot of uh, people love what he did, and then there's a few critics here and there that absolutely hated him, and including a few different um, uh, musicians who were not entirely big fans of Mr. Van Gelder, but his uh, fingerprints are all over thousands, literally thousands of jazz recordings and the style that he recorded in. Nevertheless, brilliant, brilliant piece of music from a great record. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Of course, the Jazz Messengers were the following. Mr. Lee Morgan on trumpet. Mr. Benny Golson as tenor saxophonist. Bobby Timmons on piano. And uh, Jaime Merritt on the bass from 1959. Well, recorded in 58, but released, of course, in 59. The last of the hard bop. Mr. Art Blakey. Of course, Mr. Blakey, as I said, um, absolutely influential and discovered a number of artists throughout the years um, and worked with, my goodness, just about everyone. He was... Uh, he converted to Islam for a short time in the 1940s, I guess in the late 40s, and was known as Abdullah ibn Bahaina. And I guess he went back to Christianity, or I'm not even entirely certain about that. Um, of course, he uh, he did uh, have a, a pretty big heroin addiction for a number of years, but he was able to kick it with the aid of Mr. Winton Marsalis, who believed in clean living. And uh, I guess it was um, during uh, a recording uh, with, um, oh my goodness, was it Ron Wynn or Ralph Peterson? I'm not entirely sure. Who basically would not accept um, somebody who was, you know, getting drunk and getting high. So he, uh, he cleaned up, thankfully. And he absolutely would not consume alcohol when playing. It was something that he wouldn't do. He did in the beginning, but uh, he learned that it did affect your playing negatively, and it also affects one's hearing. Uh, drug and alcohol addictions, of course, can be the downfall of just about anyone, but they do uh, augment your hearing in a way that uh, it might sound good to you at the time, but when you listen back to the recording, it's like, ooh, that's really terrible. So, yeah, he became, uh, he became a clean-living cat, as he said. Um, largely under the influence of uh, Wynton Marsalis. So, yeah. Of course, like I said, he was a heavy smoker, and uh, you can see a 1973 appearance with um, Cream drummer Ginger Baker 
they had a, a drummer's duel, and he starts, of course, with a lit cigarette. I've played through the entire um, the entire duel. Mr. Art Blakey, master drummer. So let's move it along, and um, I want to play a track by uh, Joe Henderson, who uh, passed away at the age of 64 in 2001, which is, you know, still quite young. I mean, my goodness. Art, of course, died of lung cancer at 71, but, you know, um, Dave Brubeck was 91 and was still touring. So um, he died of... uh, emphysema, sadly, in uh, 2001 at the age of 64, which is, like I said, quite young. It's, it's, it's a sad shame because I, I wish he could have stayed stayed around a little longer to produce some more music. He was uh, an absolute ma- master. And now that I'm babbling, <laughs> I just want to get right into it. From uh, This is Joe Henderson, the master jazz tenor saxophonist with... Um, the track uh, Blue Bossa. Not even sure when this was first recorded, but I'll see if I can find that out for you. Blue Bossa, Mr. Joe Henderson. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you.
1963, Blue Note Recording Debut, page one, the six-track album, Joe Henderson. Now that particular track, Blue Bossa, was recorded by, or sorry, written by Mr. Kenny Dorham, who of course was the trumpet player on that composition. Personnel for that uh, recording? Well, Kenny Dorham, trumpet, McCoy Tyner, the master McCoy Tyner on piano, Butch Warren on the bass, and Pete LaRocca on the drums, and of course, tenor saxophonist, Mr. Joe Henderson. So Blue Bossa has uh, it's been considered uh, to be a jazz standard, and deservedly so. It has kind of a bossa nova swing to it, and yet at the same time it's very much a jazz recording. From 1963, Joe Henderson. So Mr. Henderson, of course, recorded, I think, about 30 albums for the Blue Note label, that of course being his first, and he uh, appeared with others throughout his career as he recorded with a number of other acts. Uh, he was also signed to Milestone uh, rec- Records from, uh, I guess, 1967 to 68 for one year, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and uh, he even recorded with Blood, Sweat and Tears in 1971. So, yeah, Mr. Henderson, unique individual, that's for certain. Quite a very a very talented, talented player. He was in the Army for a couple of years at the age of 23, so from 60, 1960 to 1962, he was stationed at uh, Fort Benning. And I guess he, um, he was chosen uh, for a, a world tour with a show uh, to uh, entertain Sager. Uh, <laughs> Pardon me, entertain U.S. soldiers around the world. And uh, I guess when he was in Paris, he met up with uh, Kenny Drew and Kenny Clark. And uh, he finished up his enlistment in Maryland and then discharged and moved to New York City. And that's where he met Kenny Dorham. And, of course, 1963, a simple year after that, we get that recording. Mr. Joe Henderson, magnificent player. So to finish out today's show, I thought I would play a Recording from 1958 from the the master, the, the boss, the man who really helped change jazz music. This was recorded in 1958, the year prior to his um, um, follow-up album. My goodness gracious, the name is escaping me. Um, kind of Blue. This took me a second. Miles Davis from uh, the album Milestones, and this is um, the composition simply titled Milestones. Of course, the band for this, um, pretty much all of the masters, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto sax, of course, Miles Davis trumpet and piano on on a track on the album, Um, John Coltrane tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers double bass, and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. From 1958, this is Milestones, Miles Davis.